I am so glad to be able to preach here today, I'll tell you the truth. I was listening to that song, and Aaron had told me he had asked Steve to sing that song. And uh, so I pulled it up. I pulled it up on the Internet just so I could hear it. Internet is what you do. I don't know what you do. Jane does it for me. But I heard that song. I heard that song by Ray Bolts at the end. But then I noticed the guy who wrote the song. I don't know what his name was. I don't remember his name. But at any rate, she, she pulled him up. And he told about why he had written that song. He talked about the fact that his wife had been extremely ill. The church was in real turmoil. He had taken some time off from the church because of the struggles that they were facing. His wife had already had two miscarriages. And she was pregnant for the third child. And the phone rang and said, you've got to get to the hospital. Your wife is losing her child. When he went to the hospital, they asked him if he wanted to see your baby. Only a few weeks old. And he picked the little baby up, just fed in the palm of his hand. A little boy. And the thoughts of his mind were these. What would it have been like if he had grown up? What would it have been like? His heart was torn apart. And he, and he went to a piano, began to just pick at the piano. And he began to sing, The Anchor Holes, in spite of the storm. And he wondered, I wonder who wrote that song. He was just now writing the song. The anchor holes. And Aaron had told me that he had asked Steve to sing that song. And, and honestly, I was just, I was blessed, Aaron. Thank you. I think it's a God thing. Because we were thinking, Jane and I have talked several times after being with you now for 42 years of folks that we have lost, folks that have gone on before us. We thought of the deaths of some of the people that we have dearly loved. And even just hearing while we were gone of the death of your husband and have known you folks for a long time involved in deaths of a lot of people in your family. But it kept coming back to my mind what he was singing. The anchor. The anchor still holds. In spite of the storm, in spite of everything that might occur, everything that might happen. And you know why? Because we serve a God who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. We serve a Savior who is there in the midst of our storms, 
in the struggles that we might go through, we serve a Savior who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always. And by the way, that means he will be with us till this whole thing comes to an end. And that anchor still holds. Still holds. I've often thought, what would we do without our faith? What would we do without our Savior? What would we do without Jesus? And you know, often when I was pastoring and when preaching and enjoying folks, Frankie, I felt sorry for you the other day. I was about ready to talk to him and say a few things. I can pick on him every once in a while if I want to, but you're getting too mean to Frankie. I love that old boy, Kendra, we tolerate her, but we love you. I'm just kidding you. But, you know, it just, it just, it's one of those things that people become so vital to you, don't they? I mean, we, we love each other. And, and, and Jay, it's, it's just a matter of a continued love for you as pastor, and God has been good in spite of any storm, any trial, any heartache that we might ever face, the anchor the anchor still holds. What is the anchor that we have? I was asking Steve about that even before he sang it. I said, what is the anchor? Well, I do believe, and I've tried to, Aaron, I listened to that and even listened to what he had to say. I think the anchor is God himself, Jesus, and, and the love that God has for us. But where do we learn about that? We learn it from the Word of God. It blew my mind when I was reading in the little monthly magazine from Moody that 37% of pastors, now listen to that, 37% of pastors do not believe in a worldview, a Christian worldview. In other words, they don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth. They don't believe that the book is our, is our guideline. And it determines marriage. It determines morality. It determines everything that we stand for. It is the Word of God. But when only 37% of pastors believe the Bible to really be the Word of God... That's a frightening thing, isn't it? And only 10% of the people in the churches read their Bibles every day. See, to me, there's no excuse for that. Our church provides our daily breads. You can pick them up at the Welcome Center. Classrooms, you can pick them up. You can read the Word of God every day. Even a small portion of God's Word, you can read it every day. But even Christians are not reading the Word. They're not standing on the Word of God. In fact, it was rather interesting to me, and I'll, I don't like to share a bunch of statistics, but I will share this one. 
But during the time of COVID, 26 million people stopped reading the Bible altogether. A third of pastors, senior pastors, believe that you can earn your way to heaven. And some hold that reincarnation might even be possible. What is going to happen in the pews among people who attend church if pastors have no grasp and no understanding and no love for the Word of God? John, I don't know what can happen to us. Joe, we're looking at a time when the Word of God is often put down, it is mocked, it is made fun of, but I'm here to tell you, my friends, we better stay true to the Word of God because if not, we'll become a failure in every way because God's Word is truth. And in it, there is no error whatsoever. It is all truth, and we need to embrace the truth of God's Word. The sermon that I'm going to preach today, I, I thought about doing following up what the guys are doing on the Beatitudes, and, but I'd already worked on this one, folks, and when you've already worked on one, you know, I, I tried to come up with another one, Jay, and try to work on Blessed or the Persecuted, but nobody's been persecuting me here lately. I had a tough time with that one. But this is the direction I really believed that God wanted me to go, and I, I promise I'll get you out here before too late. We try to beat the Methodists to the restaurant. That's the reason I come to early mass. I mean, early service. <laughs> that way I can, I, can, I can preach, or I can listen to Jay preach. I can go teach my Bible class, and then we get quickly to the restaurant. I was in there one day, and a bunch of people came in, and here's what I said. I said, are you Methodist? They said, yes, we are. How would you know? I said, I just told the folks I want to get here early so I could beat the Methodist to the restaurant. Listen carefully. I'm taking too much time. I'm having fun, though, Frankie. Is this okay? I'm going to leave you alone. I promise. <laughs> I've always picked on Frankie all these years, and I told Jane, I'm going to leave the boy alone. He had enough Friday night, I'll tell you. If you have your Bibles, turn quickly, and I won't take keep a lot of time. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, when I preached here last year, I preached on 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, there is no chapter 5, so that's it, folks. That's all she wrote. But I was, I was looking at the passage, and it was kind of interesting to me because just after, after the, this declaration that Paul makes to young Tim, right after he gets done with it, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I've, uh, kept, I've kept the course. In fact, I've kept the faith. And he said, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not for me only, but for all those who love his appearing. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Just before he does the final statement that the time has come, he had been in prison when he wrote 1 Timothy or out of prison when he wrote 1 Timothy, but now he's back in prison in a Roman prison again and probably realizes it looks like this time it's not going to be long till he's going to die. So what is his final instruction to his young preacher boy? 
Tim was pastor. Timothy was pastor of, of, of the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a church really filled with turmoil. I mean, they had all kinds of worship of false gods and everything in the city of Ephesus. And here he was, just a young pastor, trying to deal with a flock in a city that was immoral, ungodly, filthy. And, and it looks like every indication that Timothy was timid. He was kind of shy. And Paul knew that if he didn't stand true, if he was not strong, he couldn't face it. Jay, I'm telling you, right now in this day and age, pastors have got to be strong. That's the reason we pray for you all the time. Pastors have got to be strong because I'll tell you why, folks. You don't have a dress on. I'll tell you why, folks. It's one of those things where in our lives, we have to understand that the church is under attack. Do you know that? There's a hatred for Christianity growing in our country. Did you know that? Have you sensed that? The moral values of the church and the moral values of the Bible, the whole idea of a Christian worldview is being distorted. It's being rejected. You know that. And even the young people, you guys work with them all the time, and we've got them here in our church. They're being taught things that are totally contrary to the Word of God. They're almost encouraged. Don't you believe that old fogey stuff? That there's a God who loves you, who gave his boy Jesus to die on a cross for you, and that he is the only way to heaven. There is no other way. The Bible says, or Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, the life. Nobody can come to the Father except by me. So what does Paul tell young Timothy to do? Listen to this. He said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his coming, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And what's he doing? He says, Jesus, who is coming back again. Listen, listen, when we think of Jesus right now, what do we think of? We think of a Jesus who died on a cross for our sins, so if we believe in him, we can be saved. He's out there drawing all men to himself. Come to me, all of you that will. He invites everyone to come and be saved. That's the invitation of our Jesus, isn't it? Whosoever will, let him come. Now he tells us, Paul tells us, but he's coming back as a judge. Wait a minute. Our Savior? Our Redeemer, the one who died for us on a cross, is coming back to be a judge. Yes, he is. Because I'll tell you what, when he comes back again, listen, when he comes back again and the trumpet of God sounds and the church is caught up to be with Jesus, there is going to be a judgment of rewards for all of us who have been saved and, and the things that you've done in serving Jesus and hemming, uh, him, there are going to be rewards in heaven for that. And then when that time of tribulation comes to the earth, seven years of horrible tribulation, folks are going to be slaughtered, and yet many will get saved. 144,000 Jews, we right now pray for Israel. I hope you're praying for Israel. We pray for Israel. 
But 144,000 Jews are going to get saved. 12,000 from every single tribe are going to get saved. And you know what? They're going to become, they're going to become witnesses for Jesus. Wouldn't that be wonderful if this thing would break loose over in Israel right now and they would hear the gospel message and start getting saved right and left? May not happen now, but I'll tell you what the Bible says. One day it's going to happen and the Jewish nation's going to turn to Jesus and they're going to be singing the hallelujah chorus because they've been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. And they're going to be excited, shouting and praising the name of Jesus. And they're going to be a witness for the cause of Christ. But during that time, there are folks that are going to be judged. And then the Bible tells us there's a great white throne judgment. Do you know about that one, don't you? That's for the lost. Won't determine whether they go to heaven or hell. That's already been determined. It's the fact that they've rejected Jesus. If somebody tells you, if you're not saved, just go ahead and live like the devil. It don't make any difference. That's not true. Even the lost will be judged. And I want to tell you something, folk. For those who have been despicable and hate and mean and always wanting to destroy and they take life, and they, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be tough on that day. The judgment's coming. So he says, because of that, preach the word. Preach the word. Now, what else can we preach but the word? I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of folks that don't preach the word. We've had folks that come to Harvest Time Bible Church. PJ, I'm sure they still come. Pastor Jay, I'm sure, uh, sure they still come. And, and they go to churches where they've never heard a gospel message. They've never heard a message about sin and the need to repent of sin. When I was pastoring, the guys would say, what are you going to preach about? I'd say, I'm going to preach about sin, and I'm against it. I asked them, now what are you going to preach? Sin, and we're against it. I'm glad they're still against it. But you know, the key is this. We must preach the Word. You see, it's the only truth, the only solid, altogether truth that anybody can ever get their hands on is the Word of God. And by the way, when he says preach the Word, it's more, he says the declaratory, it's a command of God. I don't care what else you do, preach the Word. Now, all the other things that we do are wonderful. The fact that the seniors will be with the young people, that's wonderful. It's wonderful for all the things that we do in the life of the church. But I'm going to tell you, I'm sorry, but still the key thing for the church is to preach the Word because it's the only thing that will not return void. It's truth without any mixture of error. It's something solid that you can hold on to. And he says, preach the Word. Now, why? Because all Scripture is divinely inspired of God. Paul told us that too. In fact, the Bible tells us forever, O Lord, thy Word is settled in heaven. All Scripture is divinely inspired. Every single word of it is divinely inspired. Now, why? Because the Holy Spirit of God guided those who wrote the Word of God. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they wrote the words the Holy Spirit of God told them to write. And we have a Word that is truth. Now, listen. That book does not contain truth. It is truth. See, when I was in school, they tried to tell me that it contains truth. It does. In fact, all the contents are true. So I had to say, yep, you're right. 
It contains truth. All the contents are true. But Paul said to him, he said, preach the word. Now, how often should you do it? In season and out of season. Now, what does that mean? That means every time Pastor Jay or Aaron or one of the guys gets up in the pulpit, and I'll spit that out in a minute. Don't get in front of me. But every time they get up in that pulpit and preach, they preach the word. And the word will not return void. So you preach the word because it is the, the, the word. My, my friend the other night called me from, from uh, we text back and forth in, in, in he's from Missouri, and he was, I was his pastor. I helped ordain him preach, and then he was my roommate in college. Can you imagine being a roommate with your pastor? But he was. He intolerated it. But I called him, and at any rate, I was telling him I get to preach today, and, and I said, I'm, I'm scared. Pray for me, and he said, I'll do that. He said, I preach Sunday. I just got the call Friday night, he said, and the guy is sick. I said, you're going to warm one up, aren't you? He said, I sure am. But I said, let me tell you, it's not your words that will make the difference anyway. It's his word. And he wrote back and said, amen, amen. See, it's his word that makes the difference. And I don't care who preaches it. You know what? I've been around for a long time. You can tell by looking at me. But I've been around for a long time. And I'm going to tell you, I've heard different preachers preach different ways. I've heard them preach where they were so laid back. They didn't foam at the mouth, didn't run up down aisles and scream, just calm. But I learned something. If you listen to the Word, the Word will make a difference in your heart. You don't have to be loud. I am. But you don't have to be. In my class one day, one guy said, you don't have to shout. I said, well, if I want to, I'm in charge of this thing over here. It's not how you preach. It's what you preach that makes the difference. Because, see, it's God's Word that will change hearts in season and out of season. That means, my friends, listen, it's to be preached here in the church that's in season. But it also means you preach the word wherever you are. You'd be surprised how many times in a hospital, how many times out there in a, in a grocery store or whatever, somebody needs to hear the word. Now, I'm not talking about cramming truth down their throats. I'm not talking about intimidating them. I'm just talking about sharing Jesus. Preach the word in season and out of season. I really believe that means preaching here. But that means if the only place I ever preach it, that's in season. But preaching it out of season, Kate means I preach it wherever I go. And by the way, let me tell you something. You will preach it wherever you go because your wife, your life, yeah, your wife will too probably. <laughs> your life will, your life and your wife will show it. Well, praise God for mine, I'll tell you. But it shows it. And your life should be lived in such a way that you're proclaiming God's Word to people. In season, out of season, and be willing to rebuke people if you have to. You know, sometimes we don't want to rebuke people. But I'm going to tell you something. When sin is being committed, I'm not talking about being mean or dogmatic or hateful or mean, but I am saying that when we know that someone is going against the principles of God's Word, we need to stand up and say, you know, this is not right. It's wrong. Now, why? Because the idea is to correct them. The idea is to correct them. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, if you come across real mean and hateful, you're not going to correct them. But if they know you love them, if they know they really, you really care about them, they're going to say, go for it. I've had people correct me. I could not understand for the life of me. Frank, why they had to correct me. Then James said they needed to. But at any rate, sometimes I have to be corrected. All of us do, don't we? We have to be corrected. You do that through the Word of God. And then you encourage them to live that life. After they get turned around, you encourage them to live that life. So he tells us then. He says, preach the Word. Be faithful. Correct people. Do what you have to. He says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will bring to themselves people who have itching ears. In other words, their ears will start tickling, and they want to hear what they want to hear. I'm going to tell you something, folks. It don't mean a whole lot what you want to hear. What does God want to say to you that makes a difference? Are you listening? What's God saying to us? Not, not how am I going to, uh, how, how am I going to uh, uh, get somebody that will say what I like? Man, I've had preachers just walk all over my feet. I go limping out of the church. I tell Jay, you ain't going back there no more. No, I don't, because we need somebody who lays it out the way it is. See, don't compromise truth for the sake of appealing to people. See, there are churches all over Rock Falls and Sterling, I'm sorry, who really believe if you compromise the truth, it'll make people feel good and won't be a part of your church. They compromise the truths of God's Word. That they're not, They don't have any Christian principles or Christian ideas. They just want people to like them. I'm going to tell you, folks, I want people to like me, but not at the expense of the Word of God. Make sense? Not at the expense of the Word of God but stay true to his word. Understanding that uh, there will be those who will desire to hear the sermons that make them feel good. So we present that word, but there are those who will pervert the word of God. I guess I ought to give my three points, shouldn't I? And then be persistent in preaching the word. You see, we've got to hang in there whether anybody else is hanging in there or not. Because I know, I, I pray for our pastor, because I realize for Pastor Jay, there's always pressure. There's always struggles. But we've got to keep praying for him to hang in there. Be faithful to the book. We're going to stand with you. We're going to love you. We're going to care for you. We're going to be the ones who will pick you up. I always tell folks, and they say, have anything to complain about? So I'm going to tell you what. You complain to somebody else, not me. I mean, I had a guy took me out for lunch, breakfast one morning. He was going to complain about harvest time. I'm sorry. I'll just, can I say this and be honest? He was going to complain about harvest time. And just what was going on here? I basically told him, you don't know what you're talking about. I did. I come home and told you, didn't I, Jane? I said, you don't know what you're talking about. They're doing what they've always done. They're staying true. Well, they're just not ministering to people like you did. I said hogwash. I wanted to say more than that, but I got to watch my language. That guy didn't the other night, but I want to watch my language. I just said, I just want to say hogwash. 
I said, Pastor Jay, if somebody in our church that he knows I know is in the hospital, either here and more, Aaron one will text me and say, we just want you to know that so-and-so is in the hospital, just so you'll know. They don't have to do that, do they? No, but they do it. You know what that tells me? They not only care for the people who are sick in the hospitals and are struggling and going through difficult times of death or whatever. It's not just a matter of caring about them, but even the old guy will include him. Don't laugh. They'll include him. Let him know so-and-so struggling. Can I tell you that's the way it should be? You know why? Because this is the body of Christ. And we are to be persistent in loving and caring for each other. Oh, my word. Don't, no, don't turn around, Kate. <laughs> Jeannie, I know you don't want me to do this. <laughs> I pastored a church, and the first Sunday I was there, they had a clock behind me. Guess what? That was the only Sunday there was a clock behind me. <laughs> Because nobody looked at me when it was about five till. Everybody. So we put them in the back. I don't even like that one. I think that one will be covered up too, Jay. They'll cover that dude up. But I want to say this. The gospel message that we have, pure, holy, clean, powerful. Amen? Keep doing it. Carl, Carl Barth, I believe was his name. A Swedish theologian. They said he was brilliant. He had all kinds of degrees after his name. But he was over here in America. With all of his brilliance, they asked him, Dr. Barth, what is the greatest truth that you have ever learned? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. May I tell you what the greatest truth that we'll ever have? Our Jesus loves us. We will preach it until he calls us home. We'll tell the world that your greatest hope is still Jesus. Have you trusted him? Have you put your faith in him? Do you know that if you were to die right now, that heaven would be your home? Well, you can't know that till you die. Oh, yes, you can. These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life and that Jesus loves you. He loves all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves me. Father in heaven, I thank you for the hope that we can have in Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and you have offered yourself to us that we might know you, have a relationship with you, and to know that our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life to know that one day you're coming back again. And one day the heavens will open and your appearance will be there in glory.
Oh, what a day. What a glorious day that will be. But until then, may our anchor continue to hold. May our faith continue to be in you. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you've never put your faith in Christ, our challenge is today, right even where you're sitting right there, just ask Jesus to forgive you. Ask him to come into your heart right now and be your Savior. The book says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It can happen in your life, even today. We have folks who will be standing here in the front. If you need someone to talk with, to share your need with, and they'll pray with you, you come as we stand together, as we sing. Let's all stand together.